Welcome to church today. Glad that you guys are here. I want to say thanks to Jeff for covering for me. Last week we were um, in Kansas City. We were doing a, uh, I was preaching a conference for some of the Living Faith Fellowship churches there. They have an all-church retreat, they call it, in the summer. And so I had the opportunity to preach that uh, for them last week and was preaching at Harvest uh, Baptist Church last Sunday. And so uh, we got to see a little bit of Jennifer's family and that sort of thing. It's a bit of a whirlwind of a trip, but, uh, but it's good to be home. It's good to be back. I'm glad to be back up here uh, this morning continuing our study through the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. That's where we left off last week. And, and in Acts chapter 5, we've already seen some very interesting dynamics at play. In verses 1 through 11, we, we looked at the, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, the Maybe the first recorded sin in the church. And it was a big one. It was a sin of hypocrisy as, as they lied to get others to believe that they were something they were not. They had, you know, Acts chapter 4 ends on, on kind of a high note and Barnabas comes and people are, you know, giving money and Barnabas sells some land and lays that at the apostles' feet. And, you know, there's some attention that he receives and Ananias and Sapphira saw that and, and I think liked that and wanted some of that. And so... You know, they sell some land and they only give part of the money. And the issue wasn't the money. We went through that in great detail. The issue wasn't the money at all. The issue wasn't the amount. The issue was that, that, that they lied and that they were pretending to be something they weren't. And so it was, a, it was a sin of hypocrisy. And God didn't take that sin lightly, as we saw, as they were both stricken dead uh, in, in the moment for all to see. I mean, that just, that's quite, be quite a church service if, you know. You know, praise the Lord, he doesn't do that, you know, so much today. But, but then coming off of that, you know, crazy event, God goes to work immediately in, in, in the only a way that he can, in a very miraculous way. And that's what we looked at last week. Immediately following the death of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And Jeff told us last week, he talked about, you know, the story of the Bible being this back and forth, the story of good versus evil, the struggle for power and authority and who's ultimately going to be king. It's, you know, the story, theme of the Bible is a kingdom. And that applies individually, who's going to be the king of our life. That applies at a much bigger level as well. And of course, the hero and the villain of this true story is God versus Satan, and throughout the Bible we see that move and counter move. God moves and Satan counters that move all throughout, and the, this back and forth continues until finally God puts an end to all of it in the book of Revelation. So with that still in our mind, it should come as no surprise what we're going to see today. And we're going to see the devil fight back. So, you know, God's performing miracles. And then the devil fights back, but then immediately God responds. And this is a great running narrative. All the way through chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is a beautiful example of this back and forth you know, movement of God and the devil. But what we certainly see, I think what most of us in here know and believe, what we certainly see over time in all parts of the Bible and in history, is that God always wins. Now it may look bad for a while, but God's purposes will be accomplished. You can count on that. And it didn't look great when Christ was on the cross. But God had plans that man and the devil couldn't see, as he always does. But you know as well as I do that in the midst of, of, of one of those devil counter moves that affects us personally because, you know, we're not immune to feeling the, the, you know, those moves in our lives, 
And when one of those moves affects us personally, it's sometimes hard to see and believe that God is still ultimately in control. It's difficult to see in the, in the midst of the darkness that, that there is light at the other end. It's easy to lose our way and lose our focus in, in those times. But we know that life brings about trouble. That, we're, none of us are certainly immune to that. We're all quite aware of that. And as Christians, we know that we're never promised an easy life or a smooth, smooth road to travel. In fact, for those of us that choose to follow Christ with their life, we're actually promised the opposite. You know, Jesus told that to his disciples, John 15, 20. It says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Paul told us this very same thing in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's, it's not a question. It's not a maybe. It's a shall. So for the godly Christian, spiritual resistance is certainly a reality for, for their life through persecution specifically. And we talked about some of that in, in back in chapter 4. But, but listen, spiritual resistance is going to hit everybody at some point, godly or not. And I say that because the devil does not want you meeting the Lord. Or if you've met the Lord, he doesn't want you serving the Lord. So maybe your resistance comes through temptation and not be able to overcome sin. Maybe you're not living godly, but you just can't seem to get it turned around. And you want to, but it, it's just, you can't figure it out. And I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I know the devil wants to keep you bound. That I know is a reality. And that gives us the title of what we're going to look at today, and that's the reality of spiritual resistance. It is very real. Trying to serve the Lord, whether you're living godly. If you're living godly, you know, you're going to face persecution. If you're not living godly, Satan's going to want to try to keep you there. And he's going to want to resist the, the Lord's draw on your life. So any way you look at it, this is a real thing that we all deal with. But the thing that you need to understand and the thing that I want to show you this morning is there are two sides to that coin. So with, with respect to spiritual resistance, there's the devil's side of the coin and the side of attack, the side of struggle. And like I said, when we're facing that side of the coin, it's hard to see the other side. But the other side is there and it's just as real. And that is God will always get the victory for his glory. That side is, is absolutely real. God always has some plan in the works that we're maybe even unaware of. But we need to be able to keep that reality in our mind in order to handle the attack side in a God-glorifying way. We're all going to face what we're facing. And to be able to get through that, give God glory with our life, get to serving the Lord, be able to, to overcome that resistance... We've got to be able to see that God is, God is going to win. God is, the victory is available. And that's what we're going to see today. So let's watch this play out in our text this morning and, and, and see what God has to teach us. We're going to pick up the story where we left off in verse 17. Then we'll read down through verse 28. So follow along with me. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they, were, they that were with him 
and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. And then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us today, and, and Lord, I, I just pray that, that you teach us um, today what, what it is that we need. We're all at different spots in our spiritual walk, and there's different struggles that we all deal with. And Lord, I pray that, that you use today's passage, Lord, to, to, to shed some light on our individual situations and what we need to be able to do to overcome whatever spiritual resistance we may be facing in our life. And Lord, I pray that you move me out of the way. I pray that your spirit speaks clearly and, and authoritatively, that your words exalted as it should be. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that you're honored and glorified through our time worshiping here together. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, and what you can see, we, you know, we come off verses 12 through 16, all the miracles that, that are occurring, and then, you know, the, the evil empire strikes back. And so, you know, they're performing, the apostles are performing these signs and miracles. Everyone's getting healed, literally everyone that came to them. That's what verse 16 says. And the devil doesn't like it. So he can't just let that go on uninterrupted. So he counters, and he opposes the work of God. He opposes the miracles of God, and he puts up his resistance. And this is good for us to see, because in this passage, we get to learn some things about the enemy's resistance, how and why he fights. But then we also are going to learn some things about God's response. We're going to see both sides of that coin. So let's start with, this is our first point, the details of spiritual resistance. The details of spiritual resistance. Because up to this point in the book of Acts, the rulers of Israel had been um, aggravated with the apostles. And they had tried to silence him. They had been aggravated, but, but they couldn't silence him. It was to no avail. But in what we just read, we see that their aggravation, it, it ratchets up a notch to indignation. And through the rest of this chapter, there's sort of a declaration of war, you know, so to speak. And because we're, we're ramping up, we've talked about this in, in some detail. We're ramping up to Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is eventually stoned and, and, and things begin to change. We'll, we'll go through all that when we get there. But, you know, Acts chapter 3, there's the healing of the lame man. They're no longer ignorant. That's what it said in Acts 3.17. And they're, they're kind of aggravated to what's happening in Acts chapter 4. But, but now, they're, now they're indignant. And they're declaring war. And why was that? It's because of what was occurring. It was because of the healing that was occurring in verses 12 through 16. The devil can't stand that. And historically, the, the leaders of the resistance were the Sadducees, right? We've seen them. We've talked about them already. But in case you forgot, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the spirit life at all. And every time Peter and the gang healed someone, it pictured for everybody what the Sadducees didn't believe in. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, from death to life, from sickness to health, 
So this was obviously a bad look for them, that the apostles are healing people in Jesus' name, in the power of his resurrection. So they wanted to stop it. You see, there's nothing worse than the truth when you're on the wrong side of it. That's when things get ugly. When you're on the wrong side of the truth and you won't just submit to it and you want to fight, that's when things get ugly, and things get ugly here. And beyond that, what we saw last week is that the physical healings in Acts picture a more important spiritual healing that's available to all, right? And the truth is that spiritual resistance is always the response to spiritual healing. Spiritual resistance is always the response to spiritual healing. Because the devil can't stand it. You see, he is about death, not life. He doesn't want people healed. He wants people killed. John 8, says, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's a murderer from the beginning. At 1 Peter 5, 8, we know this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour or kill. So spiritual healing is a problem for the devil. He doesn't like it, and he fights against it. So for those of us involved in offering spiritual healing to others, for those of us that will live godly, according to 2 Timothy 3.12, or for those of us seeking or needing spiritual healing, then spiritual resistance will be a reality in our lives. And I think that probably covers all of us. We're either offering it or we're needing it. Many times both. (laughs) We're needing it and offering it at the same time. And the devil's going to fight against it. And here's the motive. Here's his motive in this. Here's his motive in his counter moves in this back and forth, the fighting of the devil. And the motive is about controlling you. He has a motive and he wants to control you. Because it was clear that the rulers of Israel were losing their authority and their control over the people. And that's why they were filled with indignation. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. And the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. You see, now things are getting way more interesting. Because I want to compare what we just read the beginning of chapter 4. A very similar scenario, but a very different response. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, and as they speak unto the people, the, the apostles, they're teaching, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they had taught the people and preached through the, Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Okay, I want you to see the difference in in chapter 4 and what we read in chapter 5. Chapter 4, it says they were grieved, or, or, or follow this progression. They were grieved, or aggrieved, or aggravated. Those all come from the same Latin root. But now, they're filled with indignation. And indignation is an interesting Bible word that we don't use a lot in our common language, but it's connected to anger and wrath, you see that in its first mention in Deuteronomy 29, 28. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation. And cast them into another land as it is this day. 
Psalm 78 verse 49 says, And he cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and trouble by sending evil angels among them. And this is a consistent theme throughout. There's 41 references to the word indignation in the Bible. And you see that connected, that anger and wrath connection. And, and, and you know, as we're going to talk about in a second, and as we read, like the first mention, the indignations of the Lord. That's an, that's an important note. But it's not always. The indignations of, of the Sadducees and, and the rulers of Israel here. But there's a consistent theme of anger, wrath. There's also a consistent theme as it's related to envy. Because it's about authority. In fact, the same word that is translated indignation in Acts 5.17 is translated envy in many other places. So one such example is Acts 13.45. This is, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake those things which were spoken by Paul, and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And this is a good cross-reference because they were filled with it. They were filled with indignation. They were filled with envy, as these very same rulers were when they crucified Jesus. Matthew 27, 17, and 18 says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And listen, human indignation that comes from envy and that leads to anger and wrath, it's always going to lead to the wrong place. It's always going to lead you to the wrong result because it brings confusion regarding the truth. Every time, James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And this describes our scenario in Acts chapter 5 to a T. These rulers of Israel, they're participating in an evil work. And they're trying to bring about confusion on what Christ had done, how he truly had resurrected. Why? Because they were losing their authority with the people. And what's interesting is that this is in direct contrast to, to God's indignation, as, as I've already said. We see that throughout the Bible as well. There's, it's, it's actually pretty even when you study the word indignation on whether it's coming from God or whether it's coming from man. Now, the phrase, there's a phrase, the indignation, that you see multiple times in Scripture. That points doctrinally to the second coming of Christ. When, not coincidentally, he will set up his kingdom as king. You know, God is a jealous God, too. The Bible says that. It's just that his jealousy is fully righteous. And the point that he wins this authority battle, he does it through indignation. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 30 and 31 says, And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lighting down of his arm with, with the indignation of his anger. And with the flame of a devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones, for through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smote with a rod. And it's a very quick cross-referencing to Isaiah chapter 10 and Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 31 and Micah 5 will show you very clearly that the Assyrian is the Antichrist. And God's going to bring him down. Another quick example of, of, this, of God's indignation the indignation is Isaiah 34, 2. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and is a fury upon all the armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, and he hath delivered them to the slaughter, speaking doctrinally of the second coming of the battle of Armageddon. You see it also in Revelation 14, 10, with the pouring out of God's wrath. 
God is going to have the final word through righteous indignation. And he will gain ultimate control. But listen, there's just a counterfeit. So God's indignation will, will usher in the millennium. And so what's the devil try to do? He tries to use indignation to control man now because it's about authority. It's about a kingdom. It's about who's going to be the king. And in this point in history, the leaders in Acts chapter 5, they know that they're losing control. So their answer, you know, through the devil, is unrighteous indignation. And because of that indignation, they throw the apostles in common prison with all the worst criminals. And here again, we see the progression in this resistance from Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, it says they put them in hold. So they did detain them, but they didn't put them in common prison. Likely, based on history and the context of Acts 4, they just locked them up in a room in the temple. They didn't want to make a scene and, and, and book them in front of everyone. And at that point in Acts 4, they were still kind of trying to keep it quiet, but now they don't care. Now they throw them in with the murderers and the worst of society in common prison for preaching Jesus, mind you. And by the way, that is what we are thought of by this world. I haven't told you this in a while, but so in case you forgot, this world hates you. <laughs> Let's just, I'll keep reminding you every now and then. And when we preach Jesus... And when we stand on biblical truth, that is highly offensive to the world and to the devil's system. And they look at us the same way they look at criminals, with disdain, with indignation. And maybe one day they'll throw us in common prison for doing it. I hope not. But it certainly happens in some places around the world, even today. Go openly preach Jesus in a Muslim country and see where you end up. There is resistance to the work we've been called to do. It's all about control. It's all about authority. Who's going to be the king of that kingdom? Who's going to use indignation righteously? And that gets to their mission. It gets to the devil's mission in this resistance. And the mission is about constraining you. So they want to control you, but that, that is so that they can constrain the gospel message. You see that in verse 24, after the angel of the Lord broke them out of Prison, the Bible says, now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of him whereunto this would grow. They didn't want any more growth in the church. They didn't want the gospel the apostles were preaching to spread any further. Listen, this was the original Stop the Spread campaign. <laughs> you see what I'm doing there. Our government just took a, took a cue from the first century rulers of Israel. And that's a joke, kind of. But it was a stop the spread campaign. And that harkens back to chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. Again, spiritual resistance follows spiritual healing, and the mission is to stop the spread of it, to constrain and to contain the message. 
And that's what these leaders were, went on to further describe down in verse 28 of Acts chapter 5. But for continuity, pick it up in verse 25. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You see, they didn't want the spread of the gospel. They didn't want it going out anymore. And, and I want you to pay attention to these words because the problem wasn't that they were teaching. The problem was they, they were teaching in his name, in Christ's name. The problem wasn't doctrine. The problem was biblical doctrine. It was your doctrine or the apostles' doctrine they were teaching. That's quite different from the doctrine of the Sadducees. We talked about the apostles' doctrine in Acts chapter 2. And the problem wasn't even that Christ was killed. It was that they were being blamed for it, which is quite ironic, considering the fact that the people wanted his blood upon them at the crucifixion, Matthew chapter 27, verses 24 and 25, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of the just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. But listen, now the people are different. Now the people are grappling with Jesus' resurrection and the signs and wonders of the apostles in the name of Jesus through the resurrection power of Jesus. So the leaders are like, you know, we, we don't really know about this guy, but we didn't kill him. Don't blame us for that. And, and this is a bit of a side note and really kind of going back to our message from a couple weeks ago on, on about hypocrites and liars. But here's the thing you should know about liars and hypocrites. Revisionist history is a go-to move of theirs. And when they're called on something or feel guilty about something, the facts are somehow always different than what you remember. And that was true here. This is when they're saying, you know, your, his blood's going to be upon us. Now, now they're revising history. And it was true at Christ's death, and it's still true today. And why? Because they want control. And so to, to have control, they have to control the narrative. The truth is not their friend. And they're not willing to submit to it because they want to be the authority. But listen, you don't have to worry about that. Because the truth always prevails. God always prevails. And that brings us to the other side of the coin and the second aspect of spiritual resistance that we need to learn, and that is the defeat of spiritual resistance. Like I've said over and over, God always wins. One of the things that we learn from the Bible is that God will ultimately win this great back-and-forth battle over authority, over rulership of that kingdom. He will be crowned as king. He will sit on the throne and rule. And we see that ultimate win pictured throughout the Bible, including here in Acts chapter 5. And, and again, we'll continue to see the back and forth. Satan will seemingly recapture the upper hand when Stephen is killed in Acts chapter 7. But there's just a great picture in the prison break in verses 19 through 23. Look there. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came 
and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate. It's getting bigger. So we go from council, we've talked about council, we're not going to talk about today, to senate. That's a, that's a larger group. And to this, uh, all the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. So, you know, I think you can probably see the picture. Jesus sets the captives free. It was the angel of the Lord that opened the prison doors. And the study of the angel of the Lord shows us that that is, in fact, Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was a pre-incarnate Jesus. In the New Testament, it's a post-ascension Jesus. But either way, it's Jesus. And sometimes he's called the angel of the Lord. Sometimes he's called the angel of God. For example, we see that in Acts 27, 23. Paul says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. And those words very clearly tell us that this wasn't just a regular angel. Because we do not serve angels. In fact, we're going to judge them according to 1 Corinthians 6.3. So this is Jesus, who, who, whose I am and whom I serve. This is Jesus. It's not an angel. It's the angel. And the angel comes to set them free. And that gives us God's motive in defeating resistance. God's motive is about freeing you. You see, the devil wants to control you. God wants to free you. It's not about constraining or controlling you. It's about freeing you because he loves you. And listen, breaking people free from prison chains is something that Jesus is pretty good at. He does it multiple times in the book of Acts. He does it with Peter again in Acts chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon them came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. He does it again in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Silas. That time they don't leave the prison because God has other plans to save the jailer and his family. But Jesus broke them free, and he can do the exact same thing for you and me. He can set us free. So listen, if you are facing any spiritual resistance in your life today, something that is keeping you from the Lord, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a besetting sin that you just can't get victory over, please know that Jesus can and will set you free. But you have to let him do the work. Your move is to obey. You see, it was Jesus every time that opened those prison doors. It wasn't the apostles' willpower. It wasn't some slick program they put together for themselves. It wasn't even from the help of a buddy. And, and all those things are fine. But the only person that can truly set you free is Jesus. What the apostles did was they just obeyed Jesus' words. Look at verses 19 through, 19 through 21 again because it's, it's so beautiful. It's just a wonderful picture. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. In the middle, he did it by night. In the middle of the night, when things were at their darkest point, Jesus opened the doors. And the apostles walked out and did what Jesus told them to do. See, the Lord can fight our battles. He is strong enough, I promise you. 
And I just love the way he did it. (laughs) He opened the prison doors, but the guards who were right outside didn't even know. Look at verses 22 and 23 again. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety. No, no, we, there's no doors open. There's no, there's no chains broken that we see. Everything is secure. And the keepers standing without before the doors, right outside the doors. But when we'd opened, we found no man within. The guards were right there. They didn't know what happened. And listen, this is so awesome because what God does here was exactly what happened at the tomb at Jesus' resurrection. You remember that? In Matthew 27, verse 64, the Pharisees say, Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He's risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And they put guards right outside. And then if you move into the beginning of chapter 28, the angel of the Lord, hint, hint, I think you know who that is, He rolled the stone away from the tomb, and Jesus was gone. And the guards never knew it happened. They had no idea what had happened. And you're seeing the same thing in Acts chapter 5, and I love it, because God just continues to throw the truth of the resurrection in the face of the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection. He's just doing it again and again and again. How can you not love that? So the apostles are gone. And they're obedient. They follow the Lord's instruction. And that gives us a model to follow. Because to defeat spiritual resistance, here's what it takes. It takes trust in the Lord. It takes doing things his way and not your way. Even when it doesn't make any sense to you using human logic. And I say that because what did Jesus tell them to do? He told them, to go right back to the exact same place they were before, where they got arrested, the temple, Solomon's porch. Go right back there, the same place they got arrested, and do the exact same thing that got them arrested, to preach and teach about him. That's what Jesus told them to do. And if you use human logic, that's not going to make a lot of sense to you. They say, okay, we ended up in prison, and now you want us to go do that exact same thing again? Aren't we going to end up right back here again? And they're going to be even more mad at us? If you use human logic, that doesn't make sense. But God doesn't work in human logic. God works in truth. And listen, truth and freedom are connected. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So let me give you some truth about this freedom that Jesus gives for us, that Jesus provided to the apostles, and he provides for us. True freedom in Christ isn't about how God can serve us. It's about how we can serve him. It's not about how God can serve us. It's about how we have been freed to serve him. It's always about the mission. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also that he is called being free is Christ's servant. And that brings us to God's mission in freeing us. You see, the rulers of Israel, the devil had a, had, a, had a motive and a mission. So does God. And God's mission in freeing us is about fruit through you. 
It's about us bearing fruit for him. So carry out the picture. Jesus freed the apostles so they could go back preaching about him. That's exactly why he frees you and me. So that others can be freed. Through his message. There's a mission. There's a kingdom to build. We're not freed so that we can just go back to the world and do what we want to do. We're freed so that we can glorify him with our life. And look at the details of what Jesus told them to do in verse 20. Go, stand, and speak. Go, stand, and speak. And speak something specific. Speak all the words of this life, of Christ's life. And that's what they did. Verse 21 says, they went to the temple and taught. It's the Great Commission. Most of you know it, but I'll read it to you again anyway. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We are to go and we're to speak and teach. And because he is with us, we can stand even when things are tough. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, we're just to go and do it. Because that's why he set you free. You see, while the apostles' message is a little different than ours, God's mission hasn't changed. It's about people, and it's about bringing people to him. It's about bearing fruit as we speak his message. John 15, 16, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And that is our mission as well, to bear fruit all to God's glory. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And now, of course, the, the actual fruit-bearing part, that's God's job. That's up to the Lord, but we also have a job in it. And our job is simply to be obedient to the mission. To go, to stand, and to speak. To go, and to stand, and to speak. And, and not just go, stand, and live. <laughs> we should. We need to live the Christian life. Certainly. Because if you're speaking something that your life doesn't correlate with, okay, well, then you'll lose credibility. But the command is go and stand and speak. To open our mouth. To, to, to take all the words of, the, of, of, of this life. And share him with whoever God opens the door for. That's our job, to be obedient to the mission. To do what God says. Speak the words of life. It's, it's his job to bring about that life. But that's done as we preach Christ, because Christ is the only source of life. You know, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So we must speak it. Speak about it. Speak of Christ. And speak all of it. I don't know if you caught that at the end of verse 20, but Christ's command was to speak all the words of this life. And I, and I just point that out because there are people that don't believe we have all of those words in our Bible today. But we absolutely do, at least you do if you have a King James Bible. In that book, we have all of them. We have everything and exactly what God wanted us to have. And that's what we're to preach and teach, all of them. The whole counsel of God. 
Paul said for, in Acts 20, 27, for I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All. You see, they are all important because they all point to Jesus as king. All those words from God's word are the key to everything. They are life because Jesus is life and Jesus is the living word. They're the only source of truth, John 17, 17. So, so, that, so bringing it full circle, that's what we're to preach and teach, God's words. And it's interesting because Acts 5.21 says, When the apostles heard Jesus' words, when they heard his command to go stand and speak all the words of life, they obeyed. They went and taught about Jesus. And this is so important because it's only God's words that matter. That's what people, that, that's what they heard. They heard him, and, and then they went and talked about him. They spoke it. That's what people need to hear. Listen, people don't need to hear about our experiences. And the illustrations, if you're proving a point, that, you know, that's fine. But as long as those back up God's word, they need to hear God's words. Because I, and, I, and I mention that because these, expo- these apostles just had one of the coolest experiences of their life. Jesus broke them out of prison without the guards even knowing who were right outside the cell. They didn't even know about it. But Jesus didn't command them to go speak about what just happened to them. He commanded them to speak all the words of this life. He's commanded them to speak, and that was a cool experience to talk about. And maybe they could use it as an illustration to how God set them free and he wants to set everybody else free. And if they do that, that's fine. But it wasn't about the experience. It was about God's words. That's what matters. That's what changes us. It's God's words that change us. Listen, we get up here every Sunday. What I have to say is of no importance to you unless I am speaking God's word and God's words. That's the only thing that will change you. But it absolutely can and will if you'll let it. Absolutely, 100%. And then, you know, this is why Paul said, this is why it's important to speak and to hear God's words. It's Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So let me ask you, what do people hear from you? What is it that you speak? Matthew 12, 34 tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, so let me ask it this way. What is it that's in your heart? Is it God's words? Man, we, you know, we should be like Jeremiah who couldn't quit speaking about the word even when he wanted to. Jeremiah 29, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary of forbearing and I could not stay. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And this is my desire that to have his word in my heart so deep, my bones, because, you know, it does go to the joints and marrow, by the way, if we'll let it. And to have his word so deep that it comes out of me even when times are difficult. And for us today and here in the church age, that will happen if we are obedient and if we walk in the spirit. And I say that because there's an interesting progression through this story. Because we see something being filled, uh, something being filled four times 
in Acts 4 and Acts 5. In Acts 4.31, the followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Ghost. Then in Acts 5.3, Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan. Their heart was filled with Satan. In Acts 5.17, the rulers of Israel were filled with indignation. And in Acts 5.28, Jerusalem was filled with the apostles' doctrine. And there's just a great picture there for us. Because being led and filled by Satan leads to indignation. But being led and filled by the Holy Ghost leads to speaking God's word. It leads to speaking God's word. You can't miss it. And if God's word is in your heart, because the Holy Spirit is filling your heart, then God's word will come out and you will speak it. You'll certainly live it too, but you'll do more than that. You'll open your mouth when God opens the door. Even when you're facing spiritual resistance because your desire will be to speak his words of life. And through us speaking them, God is glorified, right? It's about his, his motive is to free us so that we can go speak all this stuff, right? So that we can be part of, of him bearing fruit and that more people are freed. And in that he's glorified. Why? Because he's established in our hearts and our lives where he should be as the king, as the authority. That's what this is all about. It's a battle of authority. Who's going to win? Who's gonna, we know who's going to win overall, but who's going to win in your life? Will you allow Jesus to be the king now? Will you allow Jesus to be the king today? Like I said, we know the end. The question is simply, when are we going to get on board? When are we going to get on board? Let's get on board now so that he can use us for the mission now. While we still have time. While we can still open our mouth and speak to someone else who needs to be freed. Don't be ashamed of the judgment seat of Christ because you didn't get fully on board in this life. Or listen, even worse. Don't find yourself at the great white throne judgment because you never receive life by accepting Christ. Listen, he paid the debt. Freedom is available. Forgiveness is available. But you have to make it your own. Have you done that? Have you made it your own today? And if so, if you haven't, I hope, I hope so, but if you haven't, man, why don't you do that today? Why don't you meet him today and be set free today to go serve him with the rest of your life? There's nothing else worth doing. There's nothing better to do than that. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as you're settling your heart, I, I, again, just want you to take the time to, to consider uh, what, what God's word had to say today. And if, again, what, you know, what I have to say doesn't matter, but if if God's word is true, which it claims to be, and we know it to be in our life, every word of it, then you should take heart. You should ask yourself, what's God speaking to you today? And then you should respond accordingly. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's never been a time you've been set free, and you're still bound by sin and death in your life, you can be set free this morning. We could open up a Bible and show you exactly how that Jesus Christ paid your debt, 
and how you can be set free by placing your faith in what he did on the cross and his finished work through the death, burial, and resurrection. He paid it all. You just have to trust in that. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You just have to trust in what he did and his finished work. And if you're already saved and you've already accepted Christ, but, but man, you're not fully living the reason why he freed you, once you get about the mission today, he didn't free you so you could go live your own life, so that you could do your own thing. Christ, who is our life. And that's what our life is to be about and to speak all the words of his life. Let's get about that mission today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you uh, just for the love that you have for us, that, that you are a prison breaker. You're a chain breaker. You're a prison freer. Lord, thank you for being that. Thank you for being that, to, like setting us free um, by, by your sacrifice. And, and Lord, I do pray for anyone in here today that, that doesn't know you as personal Savior, they'd get that settled in their life and in their heart today. And Lord, for those of us that know you, um, that we'd be even more committed to, to the mission that you've given us to speak the words of life. You're the only source of it, Lord. So we love you. We're so thankful for who you are, what you're going to do. I just pray that you're glorified through the rest of, of, of this day um, as we go about our lives and as we go back to our homes and families, whatever it is that we have, you're ha we're doing today, that you'd be glorified through it. We love you. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.